Good morning. Um, thanks for introducing me, Pastor Kurt. Um, yeah, like he said, I work for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It's an international organization. We do all kinds of things like Bible studies, um, camps, conferences, mission trips, all kinds of things with college students, um, universities all around the place. And so, yeah, uh, UCSB is UC Santa Barbara, the, the school that I work at. It's also my alma mater, so it's a huge uh, honor to get to work at the same fellowship that I got poured into when I was a student, so that's a huge honor for me. Um, for those of you who know Karen, Karen also works for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and so we get to, even though we're at different campuses, she's at Moore Park College, we get to collaborate on different projects and things like that, so um, that was my connection to you all, and that's why I'm uh, sharing with you all today. So. Uh, another thing about me, I met my wife in InterVarsity, and if you take a random poll of InterVarsity staff who are married. That's a pretty common story that a lot of us meet our spouses in InterVarsity. Uh, it's not an advertising point for the ministry, but we do mention it sometimes. You know, we, we're reaching out to new students. We're like, hey, statistically, it's possible, right? Um, so yeah, a lot of us do meet our spouses in InterVarsity. Um, so we are doing a short, like, two-part mini-series uh, this week and next Sunday. Um, called the New Things series, um, and it's essentially just talking about when God wants to do new things in our communities. So what is a new thing? And it's kind of become sort of like a Christianese word that people say God wants to do a new thing. Uh, what, what is that? Well, it could be a lot of different things. Uh, it could be when God wants to teach you something new that you've never thought about before, or when God creates revival in our fellowships through new structures or new ideas or different things like that, or it could even just be when God shows you a new way to connect with him. Um, so new things could be a lot of different things, but uh, it's essentially when God wants to shake up our lives and our communities. And so today I want to talk about how God's going to do those new things in our communities and our lives, whether we're ready for it or not, right? And so what can we do? What attitudes can we change towards God and towards each other to prepare ourselves for when God does new things in our lives and in our communities. So we're going to be in Ezra chapter 3. Uh, if you've got a physical Bible, that's about a little bit before the halfway point, so you can open up there. Um, and then if you have a digital Bible, hopefully you can figure that out on your own. Um, so while you're turning there, I'll just tell you, I really love the Old Testament. Um, I know it can be a little bit intimidating, but I honestly think that the Old Testament is just so interesting and so fun. There's all of these um, beautiful, beautifully written stories about true events that have all these different meanings. And you can read any story from the Old Testament, and there's like tons of different things to learn about humanity, about God's character, God's heart for humanity. Um, and there's just a lot of layers to it. The New Testament is awesome, too. Uh, but a lot of it is just um, like a little bit more direct. And so I really love that the Old Testament has these interesting stories that uh, we can get a lot of different things out of. So hopefully you'll enjoy um, the Old Testament with me today as well. So yeah, we're in Ezra chapter 3. We're going to be reading from verse 8 through the end of the chapter uh, in verse 13. But I'll tell you a little bit first about the context of this passage. So um, before Ezra even begins, uh, we're following the Israelites who are uh, kind of God's chosen people in the, in the Old Testament who are following him, at least in theory. And uh, before Ezra, the book of Ezra begins, they have been in captivity for a good amount of time under these different regimes 
uh, most recently the Persian Empire. So as the book of Ezra begins, they are under the Persian Empire. And then in chapter one, the king of Persia is moved by the Lord to give the Israelites uh, the freedom and the money, actually, to go and rebuild their society in Jerusalem. And so chapter one is them being sent. Chapter two is a long list of names of everybody who kind of joins this rebuilding task force, which I think would make for a fairly boring sermon. Um, but that's chapter two, and then we're going to be jumping in in chapter three as they are um, starting the process by laying the foundation for their new temple. And so the temple was essentially like similar to a church in that it's a, a place of worship, but they had one centralized temple, and they haven't had one for about 70 years. Their temple was destroyed um, when they went into captivity, and so they haven't had a central place of worship for 70 years, and so they want to go and rebuild the temple. So we'll see how that goes. Um, so yes, my hope for you this Sunday is that in this passage you'll see that God wants to do amazing things in our lives. And in order to prepare for that, we have to change our attitudes towards the Lord and towards each other. <clears throat> so starting in verse 8. In the, in the second year after they arrived at the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Josadak, made a beginning together with the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to have the oversight over the work of the house of the Lord. And Jeshua and his sons and his kin and Cadmiel and his sons, Benui and Hodaviah, along with the sons of Henadad and the Levites, their sons and their kin, together took charge of the work of the house of the Lord. So that was a lot of names. Here's the part where you can start paying attention if you zoned out for a second. Verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments went, uh, sorry, were stationed to praise the Lord with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people responded with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of family, old people who had seen the first house on its foundations, wept with a loud voice when they saw this house, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shout from the sound of people's weeping for the people shouted so loudly that the sound was heard from far away. It's the word of the Lord. So we've got something interesting happening towards the end here where there's kind of a conflict of interest. There's some people who are really excited about the establishment of the new temple, and there's some people who are not so excited about it. Um, and the title of my message today is called Great Expectations, because if we're going to talk about how we allow or make space for the Lord to do great things and new things in our communities, we have to talk about our expectations. So maybe you've thought like this before. I don't know about you, but I, I certainly have. You believe that God can do new and amazing things, but you maybe set some certain expectations on how he's going to do it. So maybe you think, oh yeah, I believe that God can provide for me and for my family financially. I do believe that. 
by getting me this promotion or this new job or you know this new career path. Or maybe I believe that my relative or my friends will come to know Jesus when they come with me to church on Easter Sunday or so, you know, a specific like, parameter like that. Or I believe that God can bring justice in our nation thanks to X, Y, and Z politicians or policies or these specific ways that I think that's going to come about. And so these are great things to desire, right? But we need to believe that God is able and will do these things in ways that we don't necessarily expect. We need to be open to that. So my first point is this. Be expectant without expectations. This might sound a little bit contradictory, but hear me out. Um, again, all of these things are really good things to expect, but when we put our expectations on the Lord, we are not preparing ourselves to be okay with the way that God accomplishes these things. The Bible says that it's good to be expectant on the Lord. Uh, the Bible calls this waiting on the Lord. And so um, in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 25, it says this, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. So that's a really good thing to do. But when we set you know, parameters around what we think is okay for God to do in our communities, again, God's going to do it whether we're ready for it or not. It's just about whether we get to participate in the renewal that the Lord has for us. So like I said, um, this temple that we see in Ezra chapter 3 is not the first temple. So the first temple was built a long time ago, and like I said, it was destroyed 70 years ago, which means that the oldest generation that's present among the Israelites uh, may be old enough to have seen the first temple. And so if you're interested, you can look at uh, 1 Kings chapter 6. We don't need to turn there right now, but um, if you're interested, 1 Kings chapter 6 is where it talks about the first temple um, that was built under King Solomon. And there's several paragraphs describing this temple that they imported beautiful woodworkings from other nations, and they built it with these really particular um, like soundproof stones, so that way when you're inside the temple, it's just completely silent. You can't hear anything from outside the temple, so you have like maximum connection to God inside the temple, and everything's covered in gold. Like It's very, very ornate, very beautiful, um, amazing, amazing temple. And so... It might make sense now why some of the folks who had seen the first temple, they see this new temple and they're actually weeping because it isn't as amazing as the first temple. And so Ezra does not give us these flowery paragraphs about this new temple. In fact, it basically just says, well, it's there. That's, that's just about it. And actually, it's not even completely there. It's just a foundation. It's just some materials laid so that the temple can be built, right? And so Solomon's temple was far more extraordinary. However, if you read on in 1st and 2nd Kings, we'll actually find that the temple is used for idol worship and for a bunch of sinful practices. And while it was beautiful, um, it actually wasn't used to its full potential. And so this new temple is actually an opportunity for revival in Israel, for a new thing. Even if it doesn't look the same way that the last temple did, it's an opportunity for Israel to turn back to God. And so many of the Israelites recognize this. That's why it says in verse 11, they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people responded with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So they were grateful to the Lord, regardless of what the temple looked like. 
What would it look like for us to be so open to God's work in our lives that we celebrate when he does things in our lives, even if it doesn't look like what we expect? Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19 are kind of the mantra for this new thing mini-series that we're doing. And it says this, Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So God doesn't want to do an old thing. God wants to do a new thing. Are you ready for it? So like I said, I work for InterVarsity. The chapter that I work for has been around for a really long time. And um, there's an amazing network of alumni. Some of them are among us today. Um, and they represent a time in my college's history where hundreds of students would gather on campus to worship the Lord. That's really awesome. Um, their legacy is really quite amazing. Um, and we also have a lot of alumni that we get to stay in touch with who uh, support the ministry and, um, yeah, sometimes partner with us, come and speak, all different kinds of things like that. And it would be really easy to compare their season of ministry with the season that we're in now. And by the way, sometimes they do. But if you compare that way, um, you know, just numbers-wise, it looks pretty bleak. We don't have the same number of Bible studies that we used to. We don't have the same number of students coming to events. We don't have the same number of students who are signing up to be leaders. And if you just compare those two things, the, the numbers from then and the numbers now, it'd be a little bit like the Israelites comparing the old temple to the new temple, closing themselves off to this idea that, well, maybe there's an opportunity here. Maybe there's something beautiful that God is doing. And so if we only focus on the past and mourning how things are not the way that they used to be, we can miss out on a lot. For instance, we could miss out on my student who told me at the beginning of this school year, if it weren't for a group like InterVarsity, my faith would have died in college. That she came into college with a pretty weak faith and probably would not have had any interest in pursuing it, but because of a group like us that was maybe because it was small and accessible, was this place that she could renew her faith in college. Or maybe we would miss things like my students who are learning how to have intercultural, interfaith conversations with Muslim students on campus and make friends with them and build relationships to be able to share Jesus with them. Or maybe we would miss students like my student who, when we met him uh, about two years ago, a uh, year and a half ago, he didn't have any type of relationship with Jesus. He was able to develop a relationship with the Lord in our community. And just this spring break at our spring break camp, we got to baptize him. These are all new things that God wants to do in our ministry. And we could be missing them if we don't, uh, if, we, if we stay focused on the past. And by the way, that last student, he didn't come to know the Lord through some huge conference or some amazing worship set or through something with a lot of students, he met up with two other students and one of our staff worker, one of our staff team members, and they just went through the book of Romans, just the four of them. And that's what reignited his faith, and that's how we were able to baptize him just a month or so ago. And so it's okay to lament the fact that things aren't the way that they used to be. It's okay to mourn the fact that our nation doesn't worship the Lord the way that it used to. 
But if we stay in that place and we don't recognize what God's doing now, we can miss what he's doing right in front of us. So a lot of the Israelites were very grateful to the Lord for doing a new thing. But we know that some of them weren't, right? Those who came with their expectations. So verses 12 and 13 say this. But many of the priests and Levites, the heads of families, old people who had seen the first house on its foundations, wept with a loud voice when they saw the house, though many shouted for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sounds of a joyful shout from the sounds of people's weeping. For the people shouted loudly, uh, so loudly that the sound was heard from far away. So I've been advised against referring to the old generation as old people, um, but my translation says old people. I will call them the seasoned generation. Um, but we see that the seasoned genera generation among the Israelites were probably pretty confused by the young folks. Probably thinking, what are these kids doing rejoicing over this temple that is so obviously lackluster? And their complaint is legitimate. The, the fact that the temple was not as amazing as the first temple, or the fact that they have to rebuild it at all, is indicative of the hardships that their country has been through over the past few generations. That's a legitimate complaint. But the youth didn't have these expectations because they didn't see what God had done before. And in a way, this was God giving them the ability to be optimistic about the future. They could see that despite the fact that their country had been through a lot of hardships, God was doing a new thing. This Persian king has no reason to allocate resources towards these people that could be slaves to him. He chose to free them to go rebuild their temple and gave them funds to do it. Like, that's clearly God working, and they were able to see that. So that brings us to my next point, that God works through youth. The truth is that God does use young people all the time to bring new energy, new ideas, new perspectives all the time, and we should listen to them. Matthew eleven twenty five through 26 says this, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. If God is revealing himself to infants, maybe we should be listening to those younger than us. So I have a story of a time recently where I was at a conference and I learned the importance of listening to those younger than myself. Yes, there are people who are younger than myself. I'll say this, I was born in the 20th century, not the 21st century, and I will not elaborate further than that. But I was at this conference, um, it was in Anaheim, it was a black student conference, so students of African American descent could come together and worship the Lord in ways that are culturally familiar to them. Really awesome conference, but I thought of myself going to this conference as basically an overqualified Uber driver, like I was basically just trying to get my students there and get them back home safely. That was the whole goal. And the in-between part, it's like, I need to find every opportunity I possibly can to serve. Because I'm not a student and I'm not black. So I didn't think of this as a space where I would be receiving anything. God had different plans. But the whole time I'm there, I'm looking for opportunities to serve. Because again, I just, I see myself as older and wiser than the people here. And I'm just like, this is an opportunity for them to receive not for me to receive. So I'm running around, someone mentioned, oh, there's some students flying in from Oregon, we need someone to pick them up from the airport. I'm like, I'm there. Like, that's an opportunity to serve, I'm gonna go do that. 
And uh, so I was just looking around, trying to find every possible way that I would not learn from this experience, but that I would be able to contribute to this experience. And so they were doing worship, and um, they said, raise your hands if you need some prayer. I saw a student raise her hands. I ran over. I'm there. So I got to serve, right? And it was really cool, actually. God worked through me. I had a word for this student. I got to pray for her. I've never met her before. She was from a different campus than my own. And so God gave me a word for her that was really specific to her situation that, again, I've never met her before. And I was just feeling like, oh, man, I'm so good at my job. I like God's working through me. This is great. And so as soon as I was done praying for her, I was like scanning the room like, who can I pray for next? And so I saw this one student that I thought God had put on my heart. And in a way, he did. Um, but I see the student, he's, he's a leader. I saw him doing some leadership things around the conference. So I was like, I know he's a leader. And I, I felt the Lord saying to me, um, you need to go talk to him. And maybe I misspoke a little bit. Because when I went up to him, I said, hey, God told me that I should talk to you. And he understood, oh, you need prayer from me. And so, so he starts asking me all these questions, trying to figure out what are my struggles, like what are my strengths, like what are all these things about me, so he can know how to pray for me. I was like, no, 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 you're not understanding, you're not understanding. God wants to speak through me to you, right? Because I'm staff, you're a student, that's what's going to happen. So I told him this encouragement. I told him exactly what the Lord put on my heart. I said, you're a great leader. God wants to work through you, but he also wants to work in you. And you're never in too high of a position to admit that you have brokenness in your life, that you're imperfect. As some of you are seeing where this is going, right? So it's never too late to work on yourself. And actually, people will be blessed by your vulnerability in admitting that you have brokenness in your life and that you're not perfect. And so he listens for a second and he goes, are you sure that was for me or was that for you? And I didn't know what to say. I was like, who... Who is this guy? What does he think he's saying right now? And, but I was, I was honestly very uncomfortable, and I was like, uh, it's for both of us. And we laughed it off, and then people were saying, oh, let's go take a photo. We took a photo. We just, he moved on like nothing had even happened, but I was very frustrated, actually. And I was thinking, who does this kid think he is? Like, I'm the staff. He's the student. I'm older than him by, like, a little bit. And so he needs to listen to me. And so I had to think about it a lot and pray about it a lot and journal about it a lot. Um, but God told me that word was for you, not for him. God told me you were too prideful to listen when I put that word on your heart for yourself and you had to go talk to that student and I used that student to point that word back to you. And I was really offended by this. I didn't like that the Lord was using this person who's younger than me to point out my own pride and point out that I have brokenness too. So in the same way as the seasoned Israelites needed to take a book out of the pages of this younger generation, I also need to do the same. And so maybe there's youth in your life that you need to be listening to. Maybe there's some new ideas or some new energy that maybe we just don't think is exactly wise, but maybe God wants to do new things in our lives and in our communities. Maybe we should listen to them. Are you open to that? So I know what you're thinking. Of course, this 20-something comes on stage and tells us that we need to listen to young people, right? He is young, right? Um, and if you're my age or maybe a little bit younger, maybe you're thinking, I need to send this sermon to my parents. 
But um, we don't just need to listen to the youth in our communities. It's actually a two-way street. So that brings us to my last point. It's a two-way street. So we can go back to 1 Kings. Uh, we don't need to flip there right now, but if you're curious, I'm pulling from uh, 1 Kings 12. So like I said, Solomon was the one in charge of the uh, rebuilding, or the, the initial building of the first temple, right? And so by 1 Kings 12, Solomon has passed away, and his son Rehoboam is in charge of the next generation. So if anyone's looking for a good baby name, by the way, Rehoboam should definitely make your list. Um, so Rehoboam is in charge now, and the Israelites are exhausted from having to build the temple as well as all of Solomon's side projects. And so the Israelites ask, could we have a lighter load? So Rehoboam takes counsel with two groups of people. He talks with Solomon's advisors, the, the elder board essentially that had been advising Solomon, as well as his young friends who are about his same age. The elders say, the people have a good point. If you go easier on them, they'll be loyal to you and it will just be a better experience for the whole country. And the young people say, Rehoboam, you're the king. You can do whatever you want. Make it harder on the people and have them build more stuff for you. So he goes with the young crowd's idea and he announces this to the Israelite um, people. And this actually ends up leading to a rebellion that splits the entire country in half and Rehoboam is left with only a fraction of the country's loyalty left to his name. And so while the youth do bring this new energy and new ideas, sometimes we need to listen to the elderly wisdom in our communities as well. Proverbs 23:22 says this, listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. And this should definitely be talking about our actual biological mothers and fathers, but also our spiritual mothers and fathers in our communities. God has given wisdom to those who are more experienced than ourselves, and we ought to listen to them. So in my line of work, we have a lot of ideas coming from younger people. Between the staff and the students, a lot of ideas are generated from people in their 20s. And this is by design. We know that if we're working with youth, we want ideas from people who are uh, in touch and know the culture and know how to connect with students. I mean, even just having graduated recently, I already feel like I'm losing touch in some ways with the students. And so generating ideas from a young crowd is, is by design. Um, the youth bring this wide-eyed innocence that makes them open to new ideas. And some of these ideas may be the new things, right, that God wants to do in our lives and in our communities. But some of these ideas might not be. They could be inefficient or they could be dangerous. And so in our structure, we have uh, our more seasoned staff um, in supervisory positions so that the youth can bring these new ideas and then those with more experience can say, actually, we tried that before and it didn't really work or actually that conflicts with our values in these different ways. So Ezra 3 gives us one side of the picture that sometimes we need to listen to the youth and 1 Kings 12 gives us the other side of the picture that sometimes we need to listen to this elderly wisdom. So is there some experienced wisdom in your life that you've been avoiding? Maybe it's a parent, or maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's someone in this congregation. God wants to do new things in our lives, but without wisdom, we could be putting ourselves in very dangerous places. So to reiterate, 
We should be expectant, but we should not bring our expectations. God wants to do a new thing. Are we open to it? Can we shed our parameters for how we want to allow God to work among us? Again, God is going to do it either way. But if you open yourself up to new things, you get the honor of being a part of working with God and bringing these new things to our communities. God works through youth. To the seasoned members of our congregation, will you choose to embody the attitude of the Israelites who shouted for joy when the temple foundation was built? Whether you're old or young, will you choose to embody that attitude that welcomes the Lord bringing revival among us? And finally, it's a two-way street to the youth among us. Are you prepared to listen when those more experienced than yourself create guardrails to make sure we don't, well, go off the rails? And by the way, the main character of these stories is not the youth who worship the Lord or the elders in 1 Kings 12 who gave wise advice to Rehoboam. In both cases, the main character is God. It's God who's doing the new things. But how do we open ourselves up to be okay with God doing those things in our lives? We must lay down our lives for each other and listen to one another's generations in order to prepare ourselves for the new things and the amazing things that he wants to do among us. So Lord, thank you for what you are already doing in our communities. Um, thank you for the youth and the young ideas, the new ideas that are gonna help shake things up, that are gonna institute new ideas, bring new worship songs, start new classes, all different kinds of ministry, things like that. Thank you for that new energy that you are already stirring up. But God, also thank you for the wisdom that exists here as well. The folks who know what has been tried before and know um, what your heart is for community and for the world. Lord, help us to be open to what you're doing. Um, we want to be a part of your mission. We want to be the people that you use to accomplish what you want to do. And Lord, we know you're going to do it either way. So Lord, help us to be open to what you are doing, to the new things that you desire for us. In your name, Lord. Amen.